So it's appropriate to pay homage to the Triple Gem, beginning of the teaching session. Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami. I'll start with a, a couple of readings, getting a sense of the view, view, the perspective in our practice. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of the Threes. Um, Sutra 103, just some extracts. Bhikkhus, before my enlightenment, while I was just the Bodhisattva, not yet fully enlightened, it occurred to me, what is the gratification in the world? What is the danger in it? What is the escape from it? Then, because it occurred to me, the pleasure and joy that arise in dependence on the world, this is the gratification in the world. That the world is impermanent, suffering and subject to change, this is the danger in the world. The removal and abandonment a desire and passion for the world. This is the escape from the world. So long as I did not directly know, as they really are, the gratification in the world, as gratification, the danger as danger, and the escape from it as escape, I did not claim to awaken to the unsurpassed, perfect, enlightenment but when I directly knew as it really is there's gratification in the world as gratification the danger as danger and the escape from it as escape then I claim to awakened to the unsurpassed perfect enlightenment in this world Hundred and five. If there were bhikkhus, if there were no gratification in the world, beings would not become enamoured of it. But because there is gratification in the world, beings become enamoured of it. If there were no danger in the world, beings would not become disenchanted with it. But because there is danger in the world, beings become disenchanted with it. If there were no escape from the world, beings would not escape from it. But because there is an escape from the world, beings escape from it. These words, gratification, Pali word, atsada, danger, adinawa. Escape Nitsarana. So these are 
trying to translate what the Buddha is referring to. Atsada, it's something seductive, delightful. Uh, it slides down easy, <laughs> mm, the easy way, yeah. easy hit. Uh, mm, enamored, it's easy. Uh, it hits the buttons that light us up. Intoxicating, insatiable, never get enough of it. And you just ask yourself to consider, you know, what topics come up in that, you know, individually. You know, painkillers, aren't they? It seems a lot of the time people are getting by on various kinds of painkillers because the unawakened state, the being experiences themselves as inside a world that is variable, potentially injurious, hostile, potentially pleasure, yeah, stuck inside this context. Therefore, it's very uncomfortable because the pleasant stuff runs away, painful stuff comes shuddering in, hostility and rejection occur. Mm. Therefore, we have the wrong kind of escape or the only escape that we can, the unawakened being can realize is well, switch something on, eat something, drink something, go somewhere, shift, mound, move. Yeah, organize something, plan something, dream something, go somewhere else. Yeah, painkillers. And, uh, yeah, done a few. Had a few painkillers. And as we know, with painkillers, they are helpful. And yet... Yeah. And the Buddha saying is actually uh, a possibility of not needing them. It's an escape from this. The right kind of, not escapism, which is the moving into these gratification topics. Switch something on. Wear something. Go somewhere. Drink something. Eat something. Jiggle around. Keep it going faster. Mm. Have another one. Yeah. There's an escape which is actually release from that pressure, that busyness, that push, that grasping. Yeah. Even that paradigm of being in something that's in a world. It's a very fundamental paradigm. Um, self-view. I am inside this, the world is around me. It's the way it seems. To be explored. Mm. Who's inside, what's around. Really we 
cultivate so we begin to recognize what 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 is happening is various forms of perceptions and feelings and responses and sense consciousness playing creating this impression mm. who's in here what's out there mm. apart from Something your eyes, your ears, your nose, your tongue, your body, your thoughts present. Are they in here or are they out there? <laughs> it doesn't make sense, does it? Mm. Consciousness is just playing. Uh, and it's, uh, it's quite a web that uh, beings can be running around and trapped in because consciousness, particularly mental consciousness, presents vast opportunities of uh, places to move around in. So seeing the danger in that, the endlessness of it, it's called samsara, the endlessness of it can keep Presenting his stuff, somewhere to go, somewhere to do, somewhere to get to, someone to have, someone to, you know, keep presenting it and moving around in it, never arriving at a stable, open place, released. Uh, Because it's impermanent, changeable, unsatisfactory. And disenchantment. One sees the danger of it. Idinawa. Because there is a possibility, a great human possibility, and if we don't take up that opportunity, then we will be enmeshed in all this and sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair. These are not comforting words. But when you look around the world, you see, yep, I think he's telling the truth. Anxiety, depression, loneliness, violence, prejudice, deceit, lies, abuse conflict social breakdown mental breakdown family violence even between people who live together yeah so dangerous how did all this happen Gonna blame so and so and blame somebody and blame somebody and blame that and blame that. Doesn't get us out. And actually, we all participate in generating this, or we can all participate in generating this kind of me in a world getting mine. being afflicted by others who disagree. 
and so on. And all of it not providing lasting satisfaction. Remember a, a fellow who turned up on a retreat when I was teaching at Amorati many years ago and he just we didn't realise it because they didn't do a lot of vetting in those days. A retreat and this fellow had just come out of a, a psychiatric care. He had a breakdown. He just went on retreat, which we probably wouldn't have recommended. But he went on the retreat and he, he's actually blossomed on it. It worked for him. And he was saying how he'd been a, a successful business person. And he said whenever he did a big deal, he'd buy something for himself as a little present. Sometimes he'd buy a Rolex watch or something. Really extravagant. You know, you'd get on a Rolex watch or a, some kind of trinket or something. Of course, then you do another big deal and you get a surge and the rush of getting the deal done and arriving somewhere and then you give yourself a little reward. And he had this uh, occasion where he decided to buy himself a, a Porsche, a luxury automobile. So he looked at the you know, dealers, so forth, choosing the right kind of colour, the right kind of model, the right kind of leather, you know, handcrafted, all this kind of stuff. Gets his thing, however much it costs, goes down to the showroom to pick up the car. Wonderful. Gets in the car, switches the engine on, just purrs, glides out of the showroom, drives around two or three blocks, gets into the garage, and he says, the moment I switched the ignition off, I realised I didn't want it anymore. The pleasure had already gone. already gone it took like 15 minutes for it getting what you want is suffering and this is the kind of thing that eventually drove him to uh, feeling the emptiness and uh, all he was doing empty everything he had empty life empty meaningless and breakdown. So he pushed himself so hard to achieve these things that weren't worth achieving. The hard way, the hard way to learn. But he did learn. Oh, came out. He had to see his dhamma. You can let things go. Letting go is peaceful. Letting go is a relief. Letting go is light. Letting go is happy. And turn his life around. It's the one retreat. So it is, you know, this is possible. To understand as it really is that pleasure and joy are dependent on conditions. 
and how fragile that is. And so we begin to contemplate that pleasure and joy and what, what that is about, uh, the effect of it, certain about to have it, about to get it, that surge, about to get, and then the getting, and that rush when you get something, it fills you, washes through the system, and then disappears. Yeah. Now, there'd be no point in, in illustrating this if there were not an alternative. It'd just be brutal and unkind, wouldn't it? And so the Buddha also, <laughs> the great physician, the great healer. Look, um, just even a couple of suttas further along. Talks about various kinds of action. Mm. So it's all good, skillful karma. When bodily, verbal, and mental deeds are unprotected, unprotected, bodily, verbal, and mental actions become tainted. One whose bodily, verbal, and mental deeds become tainted, bodily, verbal, and mental actions become rotten. One whose bodily, verbal, and mental deeds become rotten will not have a good death. But one whose mind is protected, bodily, verbal, and mental actions are protected, they will have a good death. They will not fail. There are three kinds of causes the origination of karma, of actions. Greed is a cause, hatred is a cause, delusion is a cause. Any karma fashioned by greed, born of greed, caused by greed, is unwholesome. Leads the origination of karma not to the cessation of karma. Any karma fashioned by hatred or delusion leads the origination of karma not to the ceasing of karma. There are also another three causes for the origination of karma. Non-greed. <laughs> yeah, letting go. Or non, non-following that instinct. Non-hatred. And non-delusion. We can say contentment. Non-greed, contentment. Non-hatred. Kindness, love. Rich heart, non-delusion, clarity. Mm. This causes good karma to arise. Any karma that's fashioned from these skillful roots leads to the ceasing of karma. The ceasing of those actions. The ceasing of karma is the Eightfold Path and the factors of enlightenment. So we see there's kind of definitely things that can be done. So the basis of generating contentment, that which is offered, that which is given, that which arises, we can be content with cultivating it.
cultivating various forms of sublime love, tolerance, compassion, forgiveness, spaciousness, acceptance, goodwill, compassion, gladness, equanimity, these various kinds of the sublime loving qualities of heart and clarity, discernment, wisdom, seeing, reviewing, reflecting, these ways that lead out of delusion. So you cultivate those as things happen to you. Cultivate these as things arise, as the disagreeable, the agreeable, the felt, the planned, the hoped for, the disappointed, whatever it is arises, you cultivate these responses. These are not so easy. These are not immediate. These take a little bit of work. Eventually you begin to see the possibilities of that. Other possibilities going the other way lead to ruin, lead to your house falling down, lead to the rotting. These seem to be good and lead to a sense of steadiness, lead to honour, self-respect. And out of these, out of these can arise the qualities that lead to the elimination, the cessation, release. So if you like, it's a kind of a, a path there. Mostly we're cultivating the what we call the transcendent or the transpersonal karma, establishing mindfulness, establishing right effort, establishing right view, keep bringing it to mind, keep referring to it, keep cultivating it around what arises. What arises is the felt, the felt experience immediately arising, directly arising. You cultivate around that, get mindful of it. This is pleasant feeling, this is unpleasant feeling. Steadying around that, recognizing if we're getting reactive to it, knee-jerk reactions, then we're going to be running around some more. And we cultivate a way that leads the mind out of the wrangling and the tangling and the running and the fighting. This is practice. Patti patti. Padiveda, seeing, realizing, oh, that has passed through. There's a sense of ease, a sense of release. Oh, that action has not generated more action, not generated more reactions. Mm. Now this is path. The qualities of um, you know, the Buddha saying there is an escape, and it can be known. And so, it's kind of beginning to even get a touch of that. And saying, what is here, what is given, what is presented, what is your experience? And there's the experience of 
you know, say the world or the context or the scenario. I don't mean the geographical world, but the personal scenario, which has got its various um, avenues that it runs along, various fault lines it splits on, various places it lights up in, views and so forth. The world arises, one's personal world arises with its dilemmas and problems and joys and hopes. That's this. It's felt, isn't it? And it moves, and it easily catches the heart and move into it. Can there be a, ah, oh, this has arisen, caused, originated. What's here before that, before that arises, or when that passes, what's here? Now, there is an escape. But beings, by and large, are mesmerized by what arises and moves. This is why dispassion is essential. Just to see, it's just more stuff arising, moving through. What's, what's here? That's not doing that. There is an unconditioned, an unborn, an ungenerated. If there were not, there would be no escape. What's this unborn, unoriginated? Mm. You might say, as you, there's moments when there's a kind of stepping back, a non engagement a non-aversion, a non-regret, a non-guilt, a non-blaming, a non-favoring. You find a sort of sense of an equilibrium there, a balance point. You take, when we come into the body, another very obvious example or a sign that we can tune into, you breathe in and you breathe out, you breathe in and you breathe out, you breathe in and you breathe out. What's there between breathing in and breathing out? Can you cultivate so that you can sense the subsiding of breathing, that rhythm as the energy shift and quiet down? Where does it go? Where does the inhalation come from? When the inhalation finishes itself, where does it go? Up, down, out. Say, the words don't apply, it just goes. Is it you're dead? No. Are you breathing in? No. Are you breathing out? No. Are you not breathing? I'm breathing, but this is part of it. This is the unformulated bit. It just opens. It's quiet. It's actually pleasant. 
There's no pressure to it. There's no formulation around it. There's no, I've got this. It's just the release. And the more you can attune without forcing it to those, (laughs) this given, this is a given. (laughs) And a sense of calming and resting into that, that given open points. This is what it's like when the mind isn't concocting, worrying, fearing, regretting, planning. Oh, yeah, I can be with that. And of course then the arising, breathing in, breathing out, the arising, the passing. So the body is giving you this. And through sati, through mindfulness of that process, Buddha says you don't realize the deathless without mindfulness of the body, immersed in the body, established in the body. Actually in this very body, again another renowned saying, you know, the Buddha's in this very body with its consciousness, perceptions and mind is the arising of the world, the ceasing of the world and the path leading to it in this very body. Clearly, this is not anatomy, is it? This is something about the process, the rhythmic, living, sensing process that we can tune into. These places, where is that? Oh. It's open. We pick up that sign, the open, the un, the unstriven for, the unformulated. Hmm. There's another way. When you're walking, do you notice you're walking? Do you, you establish your walking in a way that's easy enough, relaxed enough, steady enough? The experience. A stability within that. It's just the legs are moving. It's just the, there's a kind of lightness of movement you know, as you flow along a path. Within that, there's a steadiness. Because, of course, the body has to do this. Otherwise, we fall over. <laughs> you know? But beings, by and large, don't notice it because we're always rushing, scuttling, lurching, leaning, stumbling forward into, into, into the idea of where we're going, into what we're getting away from, into, you know, physical feeling. It's about just moving. What about maintaining that axis of stability? It's rather like if you're like a waiter in a restaurant who's carrying, you know, five plates on his or her hands. They're walking through the restaurant and there's all kinds of people sitting around, tables and chairs, chatting, drinking, eating, laughing. The waiter doesn't look at it. He just realises he's got to walk through this crowded restaurant without dropping his plates. And all this hubbub going on around just doesn't give it attention. Maintains flexibility, alertness, presence in the walking.
But it's not he's oblivious. He's not just crashing through. He knows. She knows. And they also know here's the balance within that. If I maintain the balance, flexible, alert, there's a steadiness. I don't get frazzled. I don't get burnt out. I don't get panicked. I don't get distracted. And the Buddha said we should practice like this. Someone who has a basin of oil on their head, walking along. And it says, you know, if you drop that basin, somebody's behind you, you're going to slice your head off. Would you look, you've got a dancing girl, or a dancing man, depending on what you're interested in. Would you give him any attention? No way. <laughs> yeah. You can do that. This is the way you practice. You draw the senses back, but you're not oblivious. And you're centering. You find that stability. And it's steadying, firming. This is another sign. Steady firming that's not about rigid grasping and holding on, it's about balance and poise. This is another sign to recognize a gift. The gift of openness, the gift of letting things happen, move through and finding those open places, the gift of steadiness. Tune into these. So yes, this requires some skillful action. The action is tuning, tuning in, sati, being mindful of that which is suitable, profitable, skillful to be mindful of and not giving attention to where it doesn't need to go. So this is the occasion for our Dhamma Resolver, Dhamma Practice. It's in a way, you know, it's a sacrifice. We have to realize we've got to give up lots of things where we would normally find perhaps relief, uh, being able to be a bit oblivious, painkillers, things that take us away, we've got to begin to relinquish some of those. But it's also the privilege. We're encouraged, we're in a place where actually, you know, it's pretty, pretty peaceful. You know, the world, certainly in a monastery, is not injurious, is not hostile. Mm. So it's an incredible privilege to be able to be in a situation which is actually giving you, you know, an immense boost to begin to wean yourself, wean ourselves. Uh, Because certainly even in this context, you know, one can keep the samsaric thing rolling. In fact, unawakened being, that's the definition of it. But here we're sensing where is it rolling and you've got some reference points that can help to lever out 
the immersion in views, ideas, memories, the fondling of rights and wrongs, distracting from what's really present now, here. This is the karma that leads out of the residues, the upadi, the residues that are like uh, coals in a fire that haven't gone out. They may be glowing and we can throw more tinder on them or we could begin to remove the fuel so the fires fade out. The result is peaceful, unencumbered, spacious, firm for our welfare and the welfare of others. Mm. This is our privilege, our renunciation, also our responsibility since we have inherited so much, um, given so much on all levels. It's our responsibility to cultivate and uh, in accordance with our capacities to the end of suffering.